Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Zim 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 zim. Hello. Hey, look at your new wee. I know, I'm a wee cupboard. It's fucking Aww. boiling. It gets boiling in here. It's ridiculous. But sure, what can you do? It's taking self-isolation to a new level. I know exactly. I've been in here for fucking nine weeks. <laughs> it's the only way Bruno gets a break. Hi, I'm Carolyn O'Neill, and you're listening to the Honest Actors Podcast. All right, okay. First things first, obviously that wasn't Tarlin or Neil, but you know what, I'm rusty. It's been a while. I haven't made one of these in a long time. And yeah, I forgot to ask her to do the I did. Shoot me. The most important part is I'm back. We're back. Welcome back. Thanks for coming back to have a listen. I never thought this day would come. I thought Honest Actors had done its thing. But the world has changed a lot in the last nine weeks. And to be honest, for the first time in a long time, I feel the need to have these chats which was how it all started, and hopefully that means you're feeling the need to start to hear them again. I'm releasing four brand new conversations today to kick us off, two with former podcast guests who've been kind enough to give me some more of their time to talk about lockdown specifically, and two brand new conversations with brand new guests. This one, Tarlin O'Neill, and right after that, I've got Jamel Westman. So a cracking lineup to kick us off by anybody's measure. I'm hoping you'll keep listening, and you know what, I'll take it as it comes. As long as people want to keep listening to these chats, I'll keep having them and keep putting them out. I think that's pretty much the plan as far as it goes. I haven't thought this through fully, which is why I'm putting out four episodes in one day and I've got no other episodes recorded yet. But what I'd really like is for this to be more responsive than the past episodes. So to talk about the things, particularly regarding lockdown, as they're happening, as things start to lift, as the industry starts to come back on its feet, hopefully, to talk about those things and then put it out into the world to see what you guys think. Anyway, that's enough. All I should really say is, if you haven't listened to Series 1, 2 and 3, this is a really good time to catch up on those. But this is brand new. There's no other interviews with this woman anywhere else in the podcast. I'm delighted to have her because I've wanted to interview her for a long time for this show. It's Tara O'Neill. Enjoy. How are you keeping? I'm good. I'm enjoying this. What Just is this getting... then? What are, what are you enjoying about it? Just getting to see another person's face is kind of nice. Have you been doing much of the old Zooming? Um, I've, I'm not very good on big Zooms because I seem to become like a personality void. Gang Zooms? Yeah, I, I, I suddenly have, have to listen and it's not something I'm good at. <laughs> Fuck, I've done three series of this fucking podcast. How do you think it is for me? It's like I'm constantly oh. going... And I've yeah. got worse as time's gone on because... And like, I think people just mute me on Zoom because they just kind of go, oh, she's just going to interrupt. So then I... And then because you can see yourself. 
I'm going, who is that? Who's that person there? Who's that attractive lady in the corner? Oh, that's me. No, that, that, who's that woman with the very, very large shoulders? <laughs> as I just become the Incredible Hulk as this pandemic keeps going, you know? So have you been uh, just the two of you in the house kind of thing? Yep, just. And have you seen family or how's, how's that gone? Well, my sister lives around the corner, so I've seen her because she's a big gut back garden. Um, but she, um, she has lots of underlying conditions, so I didn't see her for the first while. It's only been the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I seen my niece's children day before yesterday. I walked down to their house, so they're my great nieces. Right. Um, and that was brilliant because I haven't seen them at all since the lockdown. Um, and the youngest is three and a half, and like he's he's like a person now, you know. But he's all concerned about the sickness. The sickness is still here. It is strange watching kids like we have lots of nieces and nephews and varying in age from like I think the youngest is maybe six now but the eldest would be 11 and seeing the difference in how they treat it from like actually we've got kind of kind of niece and nephew that are in their teens as well um but um it's just weirdly the younger ones seem to be really hyper aware of it because they it becomes kind of like a game lived out large, you know what I mean? Like, can't go within two metres of Uncle Jonathan or Auntie Bruna. Like, it's that kind of, that's how yeah. they view it. But I imagine the older you get, the more anxious you become about it because you realise that it's a real thing with real consequences. Well, I think the worry is that we don't think that the young the, the young ones are aware of it. Like, for a three and a half year old to go, but the sickness is still here. You know, that's quite, you know. Mm. Now, fair enough, his mum's a doctor, so... um. Maybe it's more prevalent, but you know, a three and a half to be aware of something, uh, mm. you know, and God forbid they go back to school and have to sit two meters away from their best friend. You know, that could. What's the repercussions of that? Are we going to breed a whole generation of like little kids who are obsessed with germs and yeah, germphobes and you know, mm. personal space kind of. We've all turned into that ourselves. Like. I've never washed my hands as much in my life. Okay, listen, I went through a period at the start and then my hands started actually fucking drying out and we had to put moisturiser <laughs> beside all the sinks because my hands were all cracked and shit. And the reason my mum moved in with us is because she would suffer from anxiety. So she was living alone and even though she was on her own and no one had come or gone, she was washing her hands like every time she touched the doorknob, she was washing the doorknob, like just kind of really anxious about it. But yeah. I just got to the point now where I'm like, because I don't leave the house. We haven't been in, we haven't been in an enclosed space outside the house for four weeks. Like I've went to pick. But you've also got a little baby, so that's. Yeah, and my mum's like in her 70s and she's with us. So obviously then that means there's an extra level of care being taken. But within mm. the house, I think we're, because, you know, we're being very careful. I think then in the house we're doing a lot less of that kind of stuff because we know no one else has been anywhere near us. Yeah, um, well, my hands are very clean. I'm not just commenting on the rest of your body oh <laughs> no no the great thing about not going out is like it's yeah, your totally. personal hygiene is totally up to you and at what time you get up at totally up to you as well I imagine that must be bliss well I just get up really early I've just I've started to get up with the sun and go you know I'm in bed by half nine ten and I'm up at six you know also because in the morning it's the best time to go for a walk or a run or any kind of like going get out done because if you nail the morning, you nail the day, which is why I very rarely nail anything. It's because like... Oh, I nail the morning and then the afternoon's gone because I'm exhausted. Yeah. 
Well, at least you've kind of gone into the day going, I've done something. I can reward myself with a cornetto and a wee sit in the sun, you know? Like, always a magnum. Always a magnum. Vegan magnums, have you tried those, by the way? Not that you would because you're not vegan, but they're delicious. Are they? And vegan cornettos. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously going to push that shit on you because, you know. Are you vegan? Listen. You, I'm interviewing you. You're not interviewing me. Let's get one thing straight at the beginning with, all right? I see what you're doing. Can we start this? Yes, go, go, go. So, um, first of all, thank you very much for agreeing to take time out of your busy lockdown schedule of so busy. strict personal hygiene and, <laughs> uh, and half marathons each morning. What uh-huh. I would like to ask you first is the same as I ask everyone, and that is how did you get into acting? Um primary school I think it was a travelling theatre company that came to primary school to do a production of Oliver um, and they did. A, they had a lot of workshops and then they gave everybody a part and I didn't get a part <laughs> and that made me furious because um, I for some reason I really really wanted to be part of it um, so I was just chorus but I wanted a part um, and that didn't happen and then we went to secondary school and the same thing happened. They did a production of Annie in first year and I auditioned and I didn't, I got like the Countess or something. No, it was, yeah, the Countess. It's not even a part in the film. I was going to say, is there a Countess with Annie? Uh, something, yeah, yeah. It's his daddy Warbucks's other half. I have a song in the stage version and it's awful. Um, But then the girl that, um, there was a girl that got expelled. So I got to sing Hey Hoberman because she got expelled. And that has actually been the progress of my career when other people are expelled or not available. It's a great place I to be, isn't it? I just get in straight in there. Um, yeah, but I got the bug, I think. But then I came from a family of, like, there's seven of us and my grand live with us in a, you know, a three-bedroom house. I, I just, I wanted, I knew I wanted to be with people. I'm I'm not a strange talking about that in a time of a pandemic, but I mean, when you realise that when you're in a cast, you're part of a bigger family. Mm. So I suppose I've uh, every job I've tried to. That's that's what I love about theatre. That's what I love about if you get a decent part in a film. You know, if you're only a small part and you're in for two days, you don't get that feeling. But if you're part of an actual cast, you're part of a family, and I think that's. Mm. Take your shoes off, that's, put your feet up kind of thing. That's the bug that I got. Now, I would prefer to do rehearsals. The actual performance is different. Uh, I love rehearsals. Yeah. I would be like that as well. So sometimes, then you yeah. think, if, if you were to say this, do you want to rehearse this play for six months and never put it on? You'd probably, at about three months in, go, oh, do you know what? Can we just get an audience in? Because I can't fucking do this anymore. <laughs> So I, you know what I mean? I've, I've thought about that a lot because I really get a kick out of rehearsal rooms and what I miss the most about acting and stage when I'm not doing it is rehearsal rooms. Yeah. Other, I, other actors, you know, getting to spend time that you don't get to spend on filming jobs, I guess. And those big discussions and debates and being able to, you know, express yourself and fall out. And, but because you're in the cast, you're because you're the family, you forgive and you move on and, and you, everybody's trying to work to the one goal um mm. so I, I and like last year I did two one woman shows and I suddenly realized that oh that's why I became an actor because I don't want to stand yeah. on the stage I remember Bruna saying um, that years ago when she did a one woman show she was like I'm never doing that again 
Well, no, I so have to say, I did lonely. the first one. It is. It's really lonely. But I suppose I was really lucky in that the second one I did was Shirley Valentine, which, um, and Ocean Kearney did a, a version of it set in Belfast, which automatically took the veil down between me and the and the Belfast audience. Had yeah. I been doing a Liverpool accent, then we're different, we're apart. But in a Belfast accent, I was one of them. And then you realise how much theatre relies on an audience. They are the other actor. Mm. You know, and sometimes in Shirley, sometimes the, the audience actually were because they'd heckle um, or join in or... <laughs> You know, I'd, a lot of the time I'd hear women or men shouting, you're right. The good old Belfast audience. Good on you. Uh, yeah, go on. Hell um, slapping up you. Um, so then you rely so much on the audience to be, but it is, it's a different, It's. A, so, I realise that it's it's the group dynamic that I love. So if I take it back to the kid who doesn't get it apart mm. and that can't at that stage be about you wanting to be in a room with other actors because you don't know what that, what that feels like. So yeah. there must be a part of you deep down that is a performer and not just a kind of collaborator that is someone who wants, who, at least at that age, there's a, there's a hint in that story that you wanted, I don't know, is it the limelight or did you feel like you had a talent for it? What was it at that age that made you want that part or feel like you I deserved that part? That, I think there might be a bit of truth in it. Um, obviously, I'm the youngest of seven. Um, yes, I was I was spoiled by my sisters and brothers. Um, but but I also came from a family who loved to talk. So if you wanted to say something, you had to say it really fucking loud and really quick. <laughs> Hence why I speak so quickly and really loud. Um, so maybe there was I always joke about it that I I wanted to be standing on the stage where everyone would listen to me. Yeah. Where people have to listen to you, where you're not interrupted, where you're, yeah. and even if it's not my words, I'm I, I people are listening to me, and 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 I joke about it, going, you know, the only way to get a a word in in my family was to actually be on the stage, and they'd all come to watch, and they'd have to shut up. Um, but there's some maybe there's a bit of something in that about. You're right. I, That's why they all came to the lyrics so they could shout out. Shout um, go ahead. Because I'm actually quite shy. I'm not. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to walk into a room and everyone look at me. I, I, you know, I've had fleeting moments of fame, and I find them really uncomfortable. Um, and that idea of people, everybody knowing you. Mm. So it's not. I've discovered that it's not that that I want. So that earliest memory then of being on stage, it must have felt good because you went back for more, right? Yeah. Was it as early as that that you realised you liked, you found your tribe, which a lot of people kind of say during these chats is off, I knew I'd find my tribe, or was it more that you you enjoyed it and you wanted to explore it further from the point of view of being on stage? When I did use theatre with Michael Pointer, there was an advertisement in, I think it was the Belfast Telegraph, and they were doing Michael, a production. should have a Michael Pointer buzzer. You're the third person. Yeah. John Joe O'Neill, well, Bernard Taggart, and now you. Well, he was responsible for most actors coming out of Northern Ireland. Jimmy Nesbitt, Paul McFetridge. If you look at most, you know, Sean Kearns, Conleth Hill. Um, so many people from here kind of went through that with him. Mm. Um, Fresh, as close to professional training as you got in Northern yeah. Ireland. And he was time. doing West Side Story and half of the, the main cast were professional actors. Mm -hmm. So he was basically looking for the 70 cast. And of course, I auditioned 
Um, and in them days, you know, it was a proper audition. You had like a three-hour dance um, session. You had um, three hours. You had to do monologues. It was like a drama school audition. It was it was pretty intense. And of course, I get in and I wanted to be, of course, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to do America. And of course, I was cast as one of the New York dancers, basically. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't trained in dance or anything, but I could move. But it was then talking to those professional actors who were from here do you know in my head I kind of went I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to be like the first actor from Belfast and you're like yep. fuck there's loads of them yep. and then to find out that Paula McFetridge lived around the corner from me and she was a professional actor no you're not allowed I was going to be the first yeah totally um, but it made it it's that it's that idea of you can't see it if you don't see it you can't be it and to suddenly realize that people from here were actors like called themselves actors yeah and not and not you know people who did a bit of acting or who were in um dram or that were actually professional and not big movie stars not big movie stars either like i went to see a production of can't pay won't pay with Sheila kane and dan gordon and it was possible like blew my mind that that was something that i could work on here you know to be um, part of so moving from that, then you get to the point, I'm guessing, where you're doing youth theatre, you meet those people and you think at that point, yeah. this is something I could do for a living for the rest of my life. Do you have a backup plan or is it very much like singular focus? I am going to be an actor. No, singular focus. Um, up until that point, I kind of I, I wanted to work with animals <laughs> um, and I was working part time in a dentist um, on a Thursday night on a Saturday for extractions so I was the person that when you recovered when you came out of your anesthetic I wiped up all your blood which is a random job for um, a 16 year old but when it came to work experience there was no theatres that would take me on so I had the last on the list was a dentist and so that was my part most people had nice part-time jobs I just wiped up blood Um, but yeah single that was what I wanted to do I wanted to go to drama school my parents weren't happy. I was the first person in all seven of us. I was the first one out of all of us to get a place at university. But my degree that I had chosen was American studies so that I could go to America and become an actor. Um, because Amazing. you spent one, I know you spent one year of your course in America and I went, that's it, I'll go. And then that's, that'll be it. Um, and I thought by that stage, I I got the, I'd done a film called Nothing Personal with Thaddeus O'Sullivan, which was my first ever film. Um, and I had a good chat with lots is, of actors. Is that your then. first paid job? No, my first paid job was a, a TV series called Over the Wall. Do you remember that? It's like, why don't you? Only Northern Ireland. Yeah, it was, it was like basically, why don't you? I like, I interviewed at Deck and Denise Van Outen. Yeah, it was, it was a learning curve. You learned how to work quickly. I'm not, Luckily, you weren't a presenter. You were playing a character. But right. obviously, when you were interviewing people, you were free range. So learning not to swear. Yeah, there's most, a lot of us went on to make careers in the business. So again, learning curve. So you'd had this chat then on the Thaddeus O'Sullivan film? Yeah, and just talking. And, you know, my, I auditioned for RADA and I got in. I'd already decided I wasn't going to uni because... Michael Pointer told me you need to go to drama school. Um, I got into RADA, but at that stage it was like 30,000 a year. 
and um and you couldn't work they didn't allow you to work um, and I'm the youngest of seven Jesus. and we weren't we weren't poor by any means but my parents didn't have 30,000 pounds they sent me to, to go and act Egypt as they were to say it um so I, I, I got this TV series, then I got the Thaddeus Sullivan film and and they would just, Ian Hart and stuff were on it and listening to them and I got a show in the Lyric and John Hewitt became part of my life. He's an, uh, an actor from Northern Ireland, an older man, he's passed now. Um, and I was getting work and I thought, well, I'll do this for a year and then I'll go to drama school. But I learned so much from the people I was working with that I thought, I'm just going to, I'll ride this as long as I need to. And then I'll go to drama school. And the plan was to kind of work, save money, go to drama school. But like the like of John was invaluable to me. He taught me how to be in a rehearsal room, how to speak, how to, how to, how to, to know when not to speak. Mm. How to dissect a script, you know. I think every actor at one point will have someone who kind of took, some older actor who took them under the ring. Yeah, and I still thank you for it. <laughs> oh God! Um, was good. <laughs> uh, I'm very young. I'm really just people are surprised. Where are you? Forty. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I'm only like four years older than you. So yeah, no, but like, can you think about just the? Um, it's about the troubles, isn't it? The relative and experience. It's about the troubles. Mm, yeah, you know what I mean. You had four, um, four, four years less with the troubles than I did. So four, um, yes, four years less conflict on the grand <laughs> scale of things. I mean, you could tell I, it you. I know. I, I wear it very heavily, though, in fairness. Um, uh, I was going to ask you, um, what were your expectations then? So before, I guess, the older actor puts their arm around you and starts to kind of maybe explain a few things about the industry to you out of a sense of generosity but also to make their own lives easier sometimes yeah. um, before that happens um, what did you expect of the industry you've already said that you had a neighbour who was a working actor but not a huge star and is that what you expected what you wanted or did you have a secret kind of aspiration before as you say you did have those little or relatively well, my, little moments my, of fame my mom was something you wanted my mum was obsessed with MGM musicals right so um, I, I wanted to do musicals. I learned very early in youth theatre that I had a voice, but it's not, it's never going to be, it's never going to be West End. Um, I, and, that, and then I lost all confidence in my singing completely. And, and it's taken its toll. I, it's taken me years to go, actually, I do have a voice. It's not Rachel, it's not Rachel Kelly um, or Rachel Tucker, but Rachel you know, Tucker, I have a voice. As, yeah. Um. But no, I wanted to be. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a movie star. You know, I wanted. I wanted to be Lucille Ball. I wanted to be. Um, I didn't want to be Grace Kelly. My mummy just wanted me to dye my hair and become Grace Kelly. Um, I wanted to be. I wanted if to. If you're going to act aged, like you might as well do it, like Grace Kelly. I wanted to be Doris Day, or I wanted. I wanted to be Doris Day, or I wanted to be Lucille Ball. Um, and did you think that was a? a uh, a possibility, like realistically, yeah. was there was there a smaller, large part of you that went, "I can do this." Huge part of me. Um, when I was doing um, that film, the Fatty Sussel film, nothing personal. I was staying with Roald Hubbard, who is the who's the casting director, um, in her house, and all the audition tapes. For, she'd just done the commitments, 
and all the audition tapes were there for the commitments. So Brilliant. I kind of went, yeah, why not? Why, why, why couldn't it happen to me? You know, and maybe that's the, the brilliant confidence in myself at that young age that my sisters and everything had given me. But yeah. And without it, why you not probably me? wouldn't have set out on the road, you know, whether or I not you want that. it now, looking back, whether it would have been good for you or anything. Perhaps you I think all have... those times that I didn't get the part that I wanted, like right back to primary school, made me go, but why not me? I can't, I could do it. I can do it. I just keep going. Right, so you become a working actor and... With no student debt. Woohoo! Same here. We now arrive at a situation where we're having this chat and you've got a career of a quarter of a century and more behind you, right? Like, that's crazy, you know, but that's the truth of it. In that period, um, we don't really talk about a lot of jobs in the chats, so I always ask people to identify a job that if they were to make a list, might be at the top of that list in terms of the things they're most proud of. So another way of explaining that is to say, if people might know you for one or other of the jobs you've done, yeah. uh, that might not be the thing that you go, yeah, I know I'm really proud of that, but I did this other thing and that's the kind of actor I am. Like what's the thing that you would like to define you if you had a choice? I did EastEnders for a while and it taught me an awful lot about what I wanted to be as an actor and it made me realise that fame was not one of those things. Yeah, you were there for um, a while though, right? Not just a little while. Nine months. For... Right, okay. Nine months. Um, long enough to know that it wasn't something that, I, you know, that I wanted. Um, I used to go shopping and, you know, people would follow you so I'd have to put loads of healthy things in my basket. <laughs> And then come home and have fucking nothing to eat. Um, yeah. So I realised the fame wasn't it. But when I finished EastEnders, I, um, I'm a homebird. I love living in Northern Ireland. I didn't, I tried London and I, I just didn't, I felt small. It kind of, and I think maybe with EastEnders as well and everyone knowing you, I got, I felt like I was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way during EastEnders, it was like in a pandemic. I I kind of locked myself away, um. So when I came back home, ready to work, um, I was so excited to come home, but I couldn't get a job here in, in Northern Ireland, either in theatre or in any of the film or TV, um. Because of EastEnders. I don't. I I, I assume so. I can't. I you know. I can only. I've. During many bottles of wine, I've tried to get it out of people. Why? <laughs> Producers and directors. But people I, who subsequently hired you, you go, listen, what yeah. about that time when I but came back a, from London? There was about there was about two years actually that I hadn't I had I couldn't get a job and that was quite um frightening. Cause you know, I thought, well, I've been on EastEnders, you know, I'll come back to Belfast and pick up where I left off, which was doing I just when, when I just before I did EastEnders, I did disco pigs with Kelly Murphy and Elaine Cassidy. So I thought I was just going to come back and slot back into that. Um, and I, I couldn't even get in the room. And then I went for an audition at the Lyric for Educating Reader. Um, and I hadn't read the play. And I read the play and I went, I just felt very deeply about it. And I was told that you didn't have to read or anything. You just had to go in and chat with the director. And my confidence was shattered at this stage. So I went in, met, what the director and um he said okay so i'm just gonna 
get you to read a bit of the script. Um, and a confident me would have said, okay, can you just give me five minutes to look over it? You know, I wasn't told that I had to prepare anything, but you know. But no, I was so unconfident that I went, okay, okay, yes, yes, yes. Um, and I sight read it and it was awful. It was, and I'm not a great sight reader. So it was, I, it was just words. There was no connection. And as I was walking out of the Lyric that day, um, and it was a big old mobile hut at the back of the theatre. I don't know if you remember before the new yep, Lyric, it was a big mobile room, yep. hut. Yep. And I had to do that big long walk across and I got, I went out and I went to close I the door. I loved that rehearsal room. <laughs> I, I absolutely loved how shit it was. Well, you had to get very close to your fellow actors because it was fucking freezing. It was freezing <laughs> and the, the floorboard, the floor knob was lifting. The old, and like, there were lots of X's that you couldn't step on. So suddenly when you got onto the main stage, you'd be swerving around imaginary X's. Imaginary. I love that rehearsal room. Anyway, but sorry. I got out the door and I thought, fuck this. And I walked back out the door and walked back in and I went, I'm really, really sorry. I really fucked that up there. I said, I, this is my part. This is for me. And I just fucked it up. And I, I just want to say, I'm sorry. And <laughs> then just walked out, closed the door, get into my little micro outside the lyric and cried for about half an hour until somebody walked past that I knew. And I thought, I'm going to have to drive off now. Um, and I, I, I weirdly, I think somebody else got the job again first and then they turned it down and then I got a phone call to say, You've got it. And that for me was my, it saved me. I think it saved me because I could identify with Rita as somebody who had moved away from her own community, didn't fit in into the new community, came back to her old community and didn't fit in there either. I I felt like a Rita. That's Um, great. That's, that's the best answer to that question I've ever had. And the best reason. Because I, 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 I knew you'd have been difficult for you because I'm always conscious it's difficult for anybody coming back here, I think, if you've done something away. But I remember at the time thinking, we didn't know you really, I don't think then. Yeah. But I remember thinking, I knew you were home because I knew people who knew you, but I was like, well, I you know, I was conscious of it from the outside, really from far outside of it. But it's really interesting to hear what was going on because obviously, and if, even and everybody that, Do Do public think you're, you're a success because so you've oh, been on so to, well. and, you know, and nobody will give you a job. So, Whereas, so but, but was, the local papers are still interested enough in you as well. Like it's still at that level of fame, isn't it? Where you come home and, and. Everybody wants you to, to uh, that's why I'm not great at doing press and stuff. Um, because I realise that my personal life is my personal life. And that's a different thing. Um, and I suppose again, at Journey Standards, that's what I learned the dangers of the tabloid. I didn't have to experience any of it, but I know lots of the cast members did and it became quite frightening. Um, and I just thought I'd be, I could go back to where I started and you realise in life you can never go back to where you started. No. You have to start again. So if that's an example of an audition that went badly but well, um, do you generally know in that case, you felt you had gone terribly. It can't have gone that badly. But you generally feel you know how they've gone? No. You can the director sense. actually told me afterwards that the audition was terrible. It was awful. But what he... <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, like, after opening night and reviews and stuff, or, like, day one of no, rehearsals. Day one of rehearsals. 
But what he did say was the bit where I came back in was totally reading. I, I Fair play to the director. That's amazing. And he went, that's Rita. The person that's who great. was sitting down pretending to be Rita a minute ago was shit. That, That's great. I mean, yeah, he probably did phone some people and go, listen, I've just had this. this I know script. I wasn't the first choice. I know another actor turned it down, but that's like, hello. That's life. I, I don't it? care. Yeah. No, no. Because the audience never know that you, were, you weren't the first choice. <laughs> as far mine. as the audience go, you were the first choice. So it's always good. Um, <laughs> always so good. do, do you, you, you do have a good sense then generally of, of how they've gone? Um, no, I, I'm... I find auditions very stressful um, because we don't get that as many of them as you'd like in Northern Ireland. Mm. Um, it's obviously changing now because there's a lot of self-tapes and everything. Um, yes, of but, course. You know, when I was in London, I was auditioning every other day or when I lived in Dublin, I was an audition every week. In Belfast, it could be every three months. So every, every audition really matters. Yeah, carrying really too, too need much weight. The disproportionate weight of, of the rare audition. And I've done it. I've, I've asked casting directors um, to sit in and read just to see how other people approach audit- castings. Mm, have and you I done learned, it? And I, yeah, I did it. I did it for, um, it's I should great. not say who I did it for. I learned so much. It's great. There were so many actors. I wanted to go, go out, come back in. I know yeah. that's, and table reads is the other one I do a lot of table reads and um, I'm not going into table reads like I I carry no fear or inhibitions because I'm like I've seen people be kind of a bit shy and it just doesn't, well, do, I still it doesn't have help that. anybody. But you've always had that ability I think whereas I feel really exposed. Just, what do you mean bullshiness? Just overconfidence? Yeah. <laughs> well I just feel really exposed. It's like why I, it's like being on Zoom, I feel exposed because it's a camera. It's because you're not wearing I feel like I was reacting. <laughs> well, you wouldn't want to see me try this. Um, but I do feel exposed until I have, like, until Cathy Pryor gave me my first man, Mary, jumper. Yeah. And I went, oh, she's just going to wear bad jumpers this whole series. And Cathy went, well, wait. And we went, let's find the worst jumpers. Amazing. And then that, that becomes a, a, a break between me and the character, yeah. and then, and then, I, then I'm as confident as get out. Confident but as get Lin- out. It's confident Lin- as get out. No one's ever said as, anything as get out on this podcast. Not even John Joe <laughs> said as get out. So you're a first. Um. So yeah, it, God, it is tough. I, I don't know anybody who. I think people. Some people say they enjoy auditions. I'm still. The jury's out for me. Like I'm not sure it's even possible. Um. I enjoy whenever they're over. And uh, I enjoy when I get them. Well, I've got an audition. The bit in between getting it and it being over is kind of shit. Like, you know, invariably, yeah. it's just stressful. I recently had a, an online chat with um, Aisling Walsh, the director. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was kind of saying, for her at this stage, it's about working with the person as much as, you know, it's talk, it's looking at their work, previous work. And then getting to know whether I want to work with that person. Yeah. You know, and, you know, not every actor has that privilege. No. You have to get a certain level before people go, I want to work with them. <laughs> you can't yeah. go, there's my show real from Or, or where, where a meeting is actually a meeting. It's not just a fancy name for an audition where you actually have a coffee with someone. And if they were to ask you to read, 
you'd be like, no, 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 this is a meeting. Uh, you know, that I had a conversation yesterday with a guy called uh, Jamel Westman. He, I don't know if you'll know, but he's been playing the lead in uh, Hamilton on the West End for the past few years. And he's brilliant. But it's that thing of he says, you know, uh, he won't call them auditions anymore because he has to believe that it's a meeting of equals, that the two people in that transaction both have a choice of whether or not to work with each other. And well, because I, I forget, I think we forget that we're artists. A director is an artist. It, it's al- a director is almost like a sculpture. You're shaping what you need. The actor is as much an artist because they're going to take the the writer's words, which are also art, and shape them and shape the characters. So we're all artists, and we all know that we've worked with some artists who are absolute bellends. Yes. So it's as much as going, who are the group of artists that I want to work with? It's an interesting thing as well. I think good art happens when people are getting on. People would say the opposite. I think a good rehearsal room where everyone's happy or a good dressing room, more importantly, where everyone's happy and no one's at each other means yeah. that the show will continue to be as good as it was in the first night. Otherwise, I think as long as it's honest, I think as long as, and if <laughs> honesty means there's a bit of conflict, as long as people say it, what they're, you know, it's grand. I, I'm much, I'm not great with conflict. So I prefer a happy set. Totally. So if there's any conflict, you'll find me out the back having a fang, eating yep. a sausage. Yep. Eating my emotions. <laughs> They're fighting. I'm just going to have another sausage. Um. So do you get, is there like a feedback that you get that annoys you? Like, is there anything you, you've heard back over the course of your career when you were younger or more recently that um, a kind of refrain that comes back, like the things that annoy you that other people see in you that you don't think it, you don't think are fair? Or the way um, I mean, perhaps casting directors see you that you don't think is fair? No, because over, over the last year or two, I've, I've grown as in confidence just as a person, not necessarily as an actor, but just as a human. Um, You know, I lost both my parents and I kind of went, well, fuck this, there's nothing to lose. Like, So I would phone a casting director and go, look, have you any tips about what I'm doing wrong? Do you know, and one of them is I have talked myself out of parts. <laughs> Because I, I like to talk. Yeah. Um, don't hang around and it, in, don't hang around an audition room. That's one of the things that you need to learn. Yeah. That, that's what but you I've sit also, in the auditions. But I also had a brilliant um that same Castle Durkey said, You've I've I've watched you talk yourself out of parts. Also said I've but I've also watched you talk yourself into oh, a part. That's useless then, because it's not like a shut up and get out. It's a <sighs> But it's but it's something what it is is listen and read the room. It's, yeah. we're all actors, we're perceptive. <laughs> Just read the room and the room is going, get the fuck out and stop talking. Yeah. Well, I have this thing that I used to do and I do a lot less, but I still do when I'm nervous, which is if somebody gives me a note, like give me a note. Um, stop rubbing your lips yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't listen. Right. Because nobody, I'm listening, but I'm going, it's yes, I get, I'm so, I'm so keen for them to know that I'm listening, that I'm actually interrupting to go, Yes, 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 yeah, uh-huh, yep, uh-huh. Like as if I'm in a hurry to get back to acting. Yep, 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 uh-huh, yep. Yep, cool, 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 yep, 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 yep. And it's the worst because I saw someone do it when we were auditioning I've for one of the it. films. And I saw someone do it and thought, I do that and it's fucking annoying as shit. It's like But actually the worst. when you know where it's coming from, which is just your insecurity. Yep. Yes, let's do, come on, let's, I want to act. Let's not talk. I'm better at no. acting than I am at talking. Just keep... <laughs> 
And the first yeah. time I, I was after I'd sat in with the casting director, letting other people read, that I realized that myself. And then the next time when somebody had said, Look, give me a note, I said, sorry, can you just, because I didn't understand the note. I didn't. So I went, yeah. But can you just explain that? Yeah, me? it's good. And the realize whole you can do that? in the room just left and it was calm. I was calm. They were calm because you were calm. Yeah, and it, then it became a discussion about what that means. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's a right way or wrong way to do it. You just have to, I think the, all you can do is turn up and do what you do. And it's either right or it's wrong. And, you know, either that they want you as an artist or they don't. Do you, and you don't strike me as someone who does, do you have people who you consider rivals or at the very least people who if you were to sit in a bench outside a casting room, you'd think, oh, not them again? I used to when I was younger. That's the joy of getting slightly older. Um, and, you know, I used to think I had to be thin. I, you, can't, you can't be an actor and be slightly overweight. Absolute rubbish. Um, I used to think, you, you know, you had to be better looking than them. That's absolutely rubbish. No one <laughs> is your competition. We're all completely different. We're all completely, we look different. We act different. Our instincts are different. So no one's my competition. You, yeah. And that's why when I go to an audition, I try to bring as much of me to that character because that's what wins it or loses it. I'm actually either what they want for the character or I'm not. Yeah. So... I look around and go, I've been to auditions and it's been so varied to know every shape, size, age. And you're going, well, there's definitely no competition, but I've also been to castings where it's like a lineup of me. <laughs> hey. you know, yes. sli- sli- slightly larger, blonde-haired um, Irish girls. And you're like, oh, hello. Okay, we're all in for the funny friend then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the funny this, this, this has been in from the start. Um, it's an agent once told me something and then... Uh, the agent is an agent that's a former agent of both of us, I believe. But this agent, uh, Datrick Punkin, once told me uh, that an actor's only ever truly happy whenever they get the call to say they've got the part and then the self-doubt kicks in. And I have recognized that at various points in my career more than others. Uh, I just wondered if the, you felt there was any truth in that and what if not or if what it, what it means to you um there might be a bit of truth in it i mean that, that's definitely a happy moment um and yes self-doubt is all over everything i mean yeah and every time i finish a run of a show or i i, I finish a run of a, a shoot i don't oh, damn i should have done that and i should have thought about this and oh you know but surely that is the point of being an artist. Because if you've done it right, why would you want to do it again? Mm. You have to constantly get it, be better, learn more. So that's why I think I love the, re- I'm happiest in the rehearsal frame. The, the phone call that I get to go, you've got the job, brilliant. Yes, self-doubt comes in. First day, read through, absolutely one of vomit. Um, week two, when you're just getting under it all, Oh, it's class. Oh, you're coming home and you're going, oh. But it's that. That's what makes me happy. The sitting going, I, I don't understand. Talk to me, play right. And then you go, oh, 
that's what it means. Or it doesn't even matter. It might come after the run of a show. Nothing that worse. Nothing. No, worse. but it's but it's magic because you go, I missed it. Oh, it's beautiful. Mm. Oh, but it, and then you get to rejoice in the artistry that was the script that you never picked. And then you get to phone the director and go, you missed it too. Uh, <laughs> and yep. gloat about it. And no, then the next so time I, you I, see it, you can see if the, ah, they didn't get it either. They didn't get it either. But I think that's a downfall. That The, the hardest bit of any artist is self-doubt. And I totally. Think I, I, I don't they imagine. They both come hand in hand. You can't have one without yeah. the other. I don't imagine there's an art in, in the history of painting, even there's an artist who finished one of what we consider to be the greats that didn't go, ah, fuck's sake. You know, because yeah. you know it, you know your work better than anybody else does and you know what you were tr- what you were reaching for and whether you you fell short. And I think most people feel I like I've seen this it. brilliant Zoom chat between... Um, Me and you. Simon Stevens. He's my God. Simon um, Stevens. Great podcast. If you listen oh. to that, um, Royal Court. Yeah, but it was Simon right. Stevens and Willie Russell, and they were discussing how, right. as writers, you write, you just eternally write the same play over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same as an actor. You're just constantly trying, trying to fix what you didn't do the last time, right? You're trying to get mm. it better this time. You're trying, that's that's our job is to try, and sometimes we focus too much on the trying, and less about just going, okay, let's have fun. So week two, great. Week three, sometimes the inevitable dip. I'd forgotten about week three dips when I was, re- was directing the play in January and then Bruno reminded me because I came home like, oh, that's fucking terrible. Bruno was like, it's week three, relax. Um, but getting to beyond that into like press nights and previews and performances after that, do you get nervous? Do you get stage fright? Have you ever suffered from anything like that? Um, I hate press nights. I think... They're awful. I don't think I've ever. I hate. I don't even watch think them the press like press nights. No, because it's such a, it's just such a not a normal audience. Yeah. Um, the actors are not going to react in the same way. The audience isn't going to react in the same way. Everyone's really uncomfortable, and then everybody gets really hammered <laughs> uh, afterwards because they're just so relieved it's over. Mm. Um, so just do away with them. Um, I do get nervous. I didn't. I didn't used to. I always got a bit nervous, but I did a show by David Ireland called Everything Between Us, which was a two-hander, which starts with a struggle of two women coming on the stage fighting. Um, And I did a tour in America of it. And there was one night I was about to walk on and I suddenly went, I can't do it. (gasps) And it was just, the, the play was only an hour, but it was very, it's very funny, but it's very... It's funny for the audience, but very intense for the two characters. And I said, I can't do it. And I thought, I'm just going to go out and tell the audience I'm really sorry. I'll tell you what happens. <laughs> um, and the next thing, the other actor who had the first line shouted the first line and we were off. But that never left me. There's always a moment just before I go on and I go, I can't do it. Um, sometimes more than others. Um, like Obviously... Um, just, just before we opened with Shirley Valentine, I, I lost um, my best friend, Julie, who was assistant director on the show. So every night before I would go on, I'd go, not that I was nervous. I just didn't want to do it. But yet yeah. for those two hours that I was on stage, it was the best. It was the only because two hours, I, yeah. It was two hours that, that of 
you weren't allowed to think of anything else. You just yeah. walked on and you were Shirley and that was it. Um, but every every night just before you would go on, I'd go, I, I don't want to do this. And how easy it would be just to turn around and go, no, I'm off. And there has been actors who have done that. Oh, you know? yes, there are. There's, oh, uh, not in not- Northern Ireland, though. <laughs> no, notable examples. Um, oh, do you read reviews then? Um, I'd love to say I don't. I'd love to say I don't. And I I think every actor who says they don't, oh, they're a wee bit. Um, I do. And I read the bad ones and I read into the bad, like I, it was a show that I did years and years and years ago. And I was offered another part in it and I chose the really difficult part in the play. I'm not mentioning the play. Um, and I was shite. And the reviewer wrote about everybody else in the cast, but didn't mention me. <laughs> um, which is usually the part that's There's nothing the worse. Yeah, there's nothing worse than, than a not So she said everything. everything. She said everything without saying anything. Um, but I'm also aware that that's one person's opinion. So reviews don't hurt me. I go, that's interesting. Now, obviously, we yeah. We've I got- think that's that's what's interesting about not being mentioned. If somebody says something nasty about you, you go, you've something to kind of rail against. Or yeah. if somebody says something good about you, yes, well, you know, I'm not going to really, but let it affect me. But yeah, well, I, I kind of agree. But then if somebody says nothing about you in a play, I think when you look through a review and you're with other actors and other people, and you don't get mentioned, I think that is the is the hardest thing to process because there's nothing to get angry about. There's nothing to get happy about. It's just like well, I just went. All right. I'm here too. She thought I, no, I just, I knew, I knew straight away, but she thinks I'm shit. Now let's look at this. And then I had to go, yeah, I'm not great. I'm not great. I've made some really dodgy choices. It's too late, but I have to roll with it now. Um, but that is, yeah, that is I mean, unbearable, that thought, the thought of being in a show and going, yeah, I made some, it's three days after press. I made some bad choices. It's too late now. It's not for the actors if I suddenly start like being brilliant. Um, oh, and then looking at your fellow actors going, why didn't you tell me? Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 because I, it's, it's, again, it's art. It's all subjective. So, yep. and maybe it's just getting older and maybe it's, it's, it's the mad things that happen in your life that make you go, those things don't really matter. And you go, okay, so you didn't like my work in this, but you might like my work in that. But, you know, you know, not every play a writer's going to write is going to be a hit. Not every piece of, um, you know, sculpture that somebody makes is going to be the, you know, we have to make mistakes. We have to be allowed to make mistakes. Um, they have to be allowed to take that criticism. Um, in the grand scheme of things, how important do you think talent is? Versus I, I, luck. Oh. Are you about um, to say talent is, and then it's like, oh shit, when you bring yeah, luck into because, the equation. Because I know some very, very, very Lucky amazingly actors. talented, <laughs> talented writers, um, directors. Yeah. Who just haven't had their opportunity for whatever reason, mm. um, got to where they wanted to get to, not where society wants them to get to, but where they personally wanted to get to themselves. Um, and sometimes I go, just sometimes I'm lucky. I know the times that I've been lucky. I know so many times that somebody else was cast, they weren't available and I came in. You know, I was only cast in Dairy Girls, what, three days before we shot. 
I didn't even know my character had a baby until, I, you know, the first day of rehearsals, I went to use the baby and they went to cheers. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. Um, do you know, those, those, that's luck. I mean, obviously the talent in the room when I did my final casting, but there was other people at that casting auditioning for the same part as me who were probably equally as good. I just fitted whatever that bet was that they wanted. Um, and that has to be luck. It has to be luck that she wrote a character, Lisa McGee wrote a character that when I came into the room on that day, because I reckon by that stage, it was all good actors. I include myself in that. Um, yeah, but of course, you know, that, that, that's the thing that you always have to believe is like, you know, at a certain level in this industry, casting directors don't invite people in who they don't think are fucking brilliant. Now, of course, it's art, it's subjective, and you may disagree with that. Yeah. But they bring in people they think can bring something. I think if, if you're happy doing what you're doing, then whether it's a big success or it fails, it doesn't really matter. The fact, you know, I, and again, I think that's an age thing. Like, I, you know, I did two women in one place. The first one was grand. You know, it was received nicely. It wasn't, you know. And I, and I was a bit disappointed. I kind of, oh, yeah, okay. But I'm glad I did it. Because then, then when I moved, because it was a small space, studio space, then when I moved on to the Lyric and it was 500 seater, I'd already experienced that conversation with an audience. Mm-hmm. So you've got to make mistakes. You've got do to you, fail. Do you believe in, in big breaks as being kind of crucial or possible or... What's your what's your what's your view on big breaks? The notion of a big break. Well, you've got like a Paul Mescal at the minute, and um, like Paul's an amazing actor. I've seen him on stage. I've seen him doing um, the Louise O'Neill. Is it the asking for it? And his performance was utterly beautiful in that. Like I was like, who is that guy? Who's that young fella? He's just absolutely superb. Um. And then his performance in Normal People is is superb. But at the same time, at any other time, that depending on when that was released, it might not have hit the right people. It might not have bounced in those ways. But, you know, I mean, people are just, you know, getting to buy a necklace from Paul, and Paul is a brilliant actor. So, yeah, it's I've seen people hit the big breaks for them. I've seen writers hit the big breaks. It's hard um, to judge a big break in the moment, though, isn't it? Like, it's hard to judge what normal people will be in 10 years or, like, whenever you did EastEnders. I'm sure when you got that first call for that job, for example, you were like, holy shit, I'm going to be a series regular in one of the two biggest shows in the country at that point. Like, that's massive. It didn't Well, it didn't excite me as much because I was already doing kind of half decent like I was I was working with people like Kirsten Sheridan and like Gainey and I was I was on a happy trajectory you know um there is it's there's no doubt about it there is such a thing as the big break and I think maybe there's been times in my career that someone there was probably possibilities of big breaks for me that just didn't work out and didn't go that way um but again as long as you're happy doing what you're doing, you can't wait on those. If you're sitting around waiting on a big break, do you know? 
the, be- so the big breaks always take people like Paul is really surprised yeah. at how this is all blown up. Um, and that's when it's a big break when you don't see it coming. Um, do your so work. The, the opposite of the big break then is the no break, no work, sitting on your arse, wondering if the phone's going to ring back when the day, when the days when phones rang. Um, you've already mentioned. Oh, you had a beeper. It. I'm back. I'm back oh, to when you yeah. had a beeper. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, Phone and, me agent called. I have to go to a call box. Um, so there's two years you've already mentioned where you didn't work. Uh, oh. Well, you might not have worked certainly at the jobs that you want to be doing or whatever, but what's the longest you've gone without acting work? That that two years I didn't work at all. No well, how does place. that feel when you're in the kind of, you know, you're 20 months into that and you don't know when it's going to end and you are doing one audition every three months? How does that feel? It was awful. It was awful. And I remember having to, you know, I remember going to the to sign on the door um, and they kind of just laughed at me because obviously, you know, you know, it's a Northern Irish Dole office and I was just on EastEnders, you know, a year and a half ago. You know, I, I lived off what I earned as long as I could. And then when I went to the Dole office, they just laughed at me and then they wanted my accounts because they were like, you know, you're obviously loaded, you're in EastEnders and you're kind of like, all right, yeah. So what are you doing now? And you can't even, you can't even go, I'm working away, which you could do to other people, but you can't do it at the Dole office. Okay, then yeah, I'm working away. Yeah, yeah, working away. <laughs> um, yeah. And not that I had a problem signing on the Dole. It was more the fact that there was just, there seemed to be no end to it um did and you that's ever when consider I, giving up yeah well that's when i started i initially started writing because i just thought i i i would class myself as an artist and it's taken me till 44 to be able to say that um that does not make me just an actor that it's not one thing i have to be creative in some way so i'd started writing then and i suppose in some ways and nothing really happened with any of it. It was just, it was a way of getting that out. Um, and then and then going, well, I think every actor, when you have any period of time, goes, oh, saw this. You know, I'm smart. I can, I can go and train. And, you know, when I'm looking at my niece, who's a you know, consultant doctor, and you're going, hey, I could go back to, you know, not that I could ever do medicine, but, you know, I could go back and retrain. And then it's that thing that we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast. What was it that pulled you in in the first place? And I, and I can't put my finger on it, but it was something that I didn't want to let go. Um, and I have. I've worked every job, you know, every normal job you can imagine. Go. Um, List them off there. But- well, I worked in homeless shelters for over 10 years on and off and I'm not acting. Um, I was in the dentist. Um, I was a barista <laughs> who everybody got a flat white. That was it. That's the only thing I knew how to do. Um, didn't matter if you asked for a large cappuccino, you got a flat white in a F1. cappuccino cup. Um, what other? I was, I delivered Indians, but that was before you had sat nav. So it cost me more money in petrol to deliver the Indian. Um, and then I never, I didn't eat Indian food for like a year because my whole car stunk of Indian food. And every night they would go, you know, would you like a dish? And I'd be like, no, I never no, want to eat a dish. Everyone shouted at me because their Indians were late. 
and you got 50p each delivery and I already spent like four pound in petrol trying to find their house oh, um no. yeah that lasted about three weeks um and I had a little map of Belfast that I'd have to On sit the there with me towards oh, no. no um that was an awful job in my micro um yeah I've had some and I've stinkers dressed, I dressed up in a fat suit to um publicize the gym so I walked around Belfast city center in a fat suit now, luckily, I had a big, massive, fat head, comedy so head. Yeah. But kids kept kicking me, <laughs> you know. I was a mime artist um, yep. for a day, which was great because then you didn't have to talk and I just did lots of that. Lovely. Fake window paint. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I pretty much done. I was checking on the bike. So they're kind of supposed to. I suppose they're already in a way. Whenever you're, whenever you're doing all that kind of carry on and you're not working... Has has that has accepting that as being part of the deal of being an artist gotten easier with time? Like the first time you had to do that after you got your first job, and maybe you thought, do you know what? I'm a working actor now. I'll never have to do a crap job. Was that part of the expectation that you would somehow move away from that? Has has that necessity to do normal jobs gotten easier with time, or do you still find it difficult or easy, or you know, has it changed for you? I love, I love doing the normal job. Um, Simply because, again, when you're not working, you're isolated. So it's nice to be in an environment where you're with other people. Mm, yeah. um, but also, uh, I'll be honest, when both my mum and dad passed and there's seven of us and we, we sold the house and we got a tiny bit of money each, not very much, um, but that, that sat in the bank and that changed a lot of things as well. Because when I wasn't working, I wasn't so desperate to go out in the to get a coffee shop job or so I could eat into that and then when I got the next job I could put it back you know back, back in again. Yeah. and you're talking like seven grand or something I can't even remember it wasn't much but it was it was enough it was the most money I'd had in the bank it was the buffer yeah and that that's what I feel that every artist should be given especially in this times of pandemic as a buffer to go that's when you need it and you can keep chopping it up but in our business it's really hard to get that to yeah, start with, you 100%. know, and that took a lot of the pressure off. What about the kind of rejection part of that then? So the not working and the working other jobs aside, have you developed mechanisms to help you cope with the inevitable rejection, which comes to everybody, no matter how much they're working or what they're doing, you will get rejected for some jobs sometimes. Has that got easier? Um, yeah, because I, I realize it's not my fault. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yes, I know I could be, uh, you know, I should be sinner. You know, let's face it, I'm, I can't always play the funny friend. Um, and leads are not genuinely, most of the time, big girls. Um, and I'm not a big girl, but on screen I am. <laughs> Especially in a bad jumper. We're all you know, big girls. Could, We're all big I, girls I, on screen, honey. <laughs> you all want to be big girls on screen. We're all big girls um, on screen. And I kind of think, you know, as my job, I should be in the best kind of shape, ready for it, blah, blah, blah. I don't really want to live like that. Um, I'm just too lazy. Um, that's it. But I've also realized it's not, it's not really in my control. If I get the audition, I do the work. And if I don't do the work, then that's different. But if I do the work and I either self-tape or I turn up and I do it, that's all I can do. Mm-hmm. And... I will never know why I wasn't picked. And sometimes you look at the, the actual production and you go, oh, right, 
there was one time it was a Channel 4 thing and it said a large girl from Northern Ireland and I went, get in. Um, and then I watched it and, and it was a much larger girl from Northern Ireland. And you went, oh, I wasn't fat enough for that part. <laughs> you know, so you can't win. <clears throat> so it's not just do your work and then go, yeah. oh, yeah. well, you know, and that's hard, especially those couple of years. And I've had periods in between that where it's been six, seven months of nothing. Um, where you can start turning it in on yourself. But then you have to go and you look at, because Belfast is so small, I look at the theatres and go, there was nothing in any of those shows that I could have played anyway. Yep. So I can't really complain that I haven't been in them because what part would you have wanted to play in them? So if those things, then you kind of have a way of rationalising that, and I think beautifully put, you realise it's not your fault. Um, What's the worst thing about being an actor if we know the things that draw you back to it? What's the worst thing? Um, the worst thing is the not working, is the not being able to create, um, not being in a room with people um, because this is your family. So then you feel like when you go to see a show and there's all half your family are in the show and you're not, and you're not part of that team, you're like, hello, I'm your long lost sister. Do you remember me? Um, and if you're not working for a while, that can be that can be tough. But we have a really good community here in Belfast who hang out quite a lot, whether we're working in shows or not. And um, the worst thing, the worst thing with being an actor is obviously being skint. I mean, I can't because, you know, I'm very lucky. I've got dare girls. But, you know, it's feast or famine. You're loaded and then you're absolutely skint. Um, so managing money is not great. Um, what's the worst bet? Do you think it has a psychological impact overall? Like, do you think, do you think, think, it's, it think it's taken younger. a toll on you being an actor? I think, when, I think when I was younger and I, you know, somebody once, a well-known um, director who might have worked with you, um, once told me, because I was very, very skinny and very pretty when I was younger, and he told mm-hmm. me I would work more if I had a facial disfigurement. Um, <laughs> I mean, that could be any one of a number of people I've worked with, to be fair. Uh, I'll tell you after. Um, yep, yeah. Yep, yep. So that need to what? Stay that is fucking bizarre. You no. work more if you had a facial disfigurement. Facial, you're kind of you're kind of pretty, but not pretty enough to be that. Yeah. But you're too pretty to be that. And you're going. I'm an actor. Yeah. Um, so the, the pressure to be pretty or to be beautiful or to be thin. And I come from a family of of big women and um, men. My brothers will tell me. Um, but when, your sisters are fine body, with it. I love that. Yeah. Your brothers will kill you, but, but your body, sisters are grand. But our body weights are like genetic. We know where we like to sit. And yeah. I I can. I've dropped two, two and a half, three stone for part. It's fine. I can do it. But it's not where my body wants to sit at. At a normal level, you know. And my life's more important than my work. Do you know, my day to day claim. It is though. So, it is. bring us back to lockdown then. So, I know because obviously I have a person who our family are close to involved in that show, that that show, Dairy Girls, was about to go before all this kicked in. What is it like having something like that? Because a lot of people will have gone into this. Tom Goodman Hill said, 
that he was in kind of pretty much in lockdown three months before that because he, he hadn't been working. So it was like, yeah, whatever. I'm kind of staying at home. It's all the same. But you were about to go and start Series 3. So does is that, a, I mean, in terms of financial planning, but like emotionally as well, does that did that become more difficult because the thing that was about to happen then got pulled from underneath? No. Um, I, I mean, I worked right up until two weeks. My Shirley Valentine closed and then that was the last show in the theatre in the lyric um hopefully we didn't we didn't close it down um yeah, so, so, so i was working right up until then so i i technically knew i had like four weeks off before we started rehearsals for dairy girls um no because in the big grand scheme of things when this gets like every tv company is constantly now trying to work out how they can do it every tv and film totally, company totally so i have a job when this, when they work out away, I have a job. I am a hundred times Lucky better up. off than yeah. 90% of actors. Yeah. I have a guaranteed job at the end of this. Channel 4 and Hattrick are amazing because they, they so want to do a third series. They're sticking with it. They'll find a way. Most actors, most like lighting designers, directors, what they have no idea. If you work in theatre, you have no idea. Yeah. No idea. I have a job. I am a hundred percent. So. All right, Robin. I just wanted to <laughs> No, it's fine. You could have you could have went anyway we with that. Bit, I just you wish could, we got a bit closer that I got the scripts. You could have went humble. You could have went humble. You could have went like, oh no, it was the worst. I'm really struggling. And then you could you didn't have to mention the fact that it was just waiting. You could have just like I've got a job. Oh, shut up. She's dancing now. But um, I know how lucky I am to get a oh, job. Oh no, I know. You do um, you've no idea how lucky you are. Um, listen, so we're in the final home straight. I don't know why that sounds so sinister. You're in the home straight now. Um, do you consider yourself successful? Yes. Good. Uh, I hesitated with that, but... How do you define success then? So what is it about that term that you're happy to embrace? That the jobs that I work on, I do because I want to and not because they pay me. And I do them... Did you hear that hat trick channel for? She's doing it because they not because she wants to, not because you're paying her. Um, but years ago I would have taken any job anybody that offered me. I'd have played a duck, you know, in anything. Totally. My first credit in MDB is man hypnotized as a dog. <laughs> literally, he did. literally, he did. man hypnotized yeah. as a dog for a for is a that sitcom. No, no, sitcom. no, no. This is like 1998 for. Hole in the Wall for, what do you call it, uh, that, that oh, sitcom? Hole in the Wall guy? Yeah, whatever that, what was that show called that they had with the two families? It had a name. I, do you remember? No, anyway, get my headpiece. Get my headpiece. I played a man hypnotised as a dog. That was my first <laughs> credit on IMDb. You can't, you can't delete them. I've emailed IMDb like six yeah. times. <laughs> so I've done all those jobs. Um, so success is not having to take those jobs, is to be able to look at a script and go, do you know what? I don't want to play a vampire. It doesn't. Yes. No, that success is it's going. I want to do the work that I do, that I can say I'm proud of it. Each job, I'm proud of that. Brilliant. Um, if I was to put you in charge of the industry for a day, assuming the industry was up and running, actually, let's fuck that. The industry is where it's at today. Right. And if I put you in charge um, and you could change anything, improve on anything, get rid of anything. What would be the top of your to-do list? Apart from giving all artists £7,000 as a buffer 
that's a given. You know, you've already, that's one <laughs> um, of your policies. And I can't see anybody objecting to that outside the arts, inside the arts no, community at least. Right. Yep. Not at all. Um, it's hard because there's two different industries. So there, you know, three different, four different, because mm. I, I do radio, I write TV, film and theater. So, and they're all different industries uh, and all of them are on their knees. Um, I don't know what I'd change. Because it, it's going to change anyway. I don't know. And I don't know how. Have you thought about what, what it might look like on the other side? It breaks it breaks my heart because fundamentally I love theatre because it's a coming together of people. I love going to watch theatre and sit beside a stranger who turned... I, I went to see um, a play in the lyric just before I did Shirley. And the woman was sitting beside me and I was the front of the programme. And she went, oh, look, Mavis, Shirley Valentine's on. And for the first time ever in my life, I leaned over and went, that's me. And she went, is it? Um, and then for the rest of the play, Cuteness. she kept going, did you like that? Did you like that bit? Um, but just being collectively, everybody sitting next to a stranger, the, the laughter, to sit beside somebody who's being emotionally moved by something and you don't, you don't touch them, but you feel them and you can. So th- that's what the spurs, what I worry about in terms of theatre and social distance. And that all frightens me because um, I love it. And that's not even being on stage. That's just being in an audience um, and experiencing that. So I don't know how that and everyone's trying to work out a way to do it. I mean, eventually it'll all be fine. Because like we're going to conquer coronavirus, and you know, no, no. Eventually, it will all be fine. Is now being attributed to you. Eventually, it will all be well. It's fine because you said you said it was going to be fine. <laughs> I listened. I listened to that podcast, and you definitely said it's going to be fine. I hope Look, it is. I I feel like it is. I feel like it might take some time, but ultimately, the world the world keeps turning. Yeah, so. and I think the the world more so than I ever have. If I've said this in the past, I haven't ever believed it as much as I do now. The world needs theatre. Like, and we'll end up going, maybe if we'll go like all the way back to Greek theatre and we'll be doing lots of stuff outdoors, do you know? Yeah, and it's good because you talk um, loud and fast, so you'll perfect. be good for Greek theatre because it's all like three hours long, so you can cut like a good half hour out of it, and it's a you know outdoors. Yeah, loud. and I'm really good like at you know shouting at people from miles away, so perfect. Brilliant. And you you've know? got a big family, so you'll bring lots of people along, sell lots of tickets. That's why you get oh, cast they, and stuff. I didn't want to say it, it's just because people they go. Won't, no, they won't come now. She's unless, got a big family. Um, they won't come family. now unless you give them a free ticket because they're like, we don't ask you to come do our work and pay to come in. So, uh, no. It's <gasps> a good point. They have a point. Um, okay, so... Uh, I didn't answer that question because it's it's too difficult, I think, in this yes. time. I think it is difficult. All we can really do is guess what's going to happen and your guess is as good as anybody's. If it was, if it was normal the way it was, I think the thing that I would change, especially in Northern Ireland is how limited our, our rehearsal period we have. Because yes. um, we in it's Northern impossible. Ireland get th- we get three weeks and then a production week. Three weeks is not enough. It's not for to anything. Explore. Um, it's not. So You're just so you scratching do, it. That, so that means you do end up on stage discovering stuff live, which is fantastic, but it's also like, oh, fuck, if we've done this. Yeah, but there's a level of discovery that's really good fun. Like the tiny details are good fun. Big things that you haven't seen in rehearsals because you've been there for three weeks are not good fun to discover on a press night. And also, as a writer, 
you know, three weeks with your script. It's, you, you want more because you, you want to shape especially it. Especially new writing. Yeah, especially yeah. new writing. Yeah, that's that's the thing I would change because I, I think it's really unfair, especially on new writers, because that if that play is not done properly, it'll never see the light of day again. It's a once only opportunity. And to give it three weeks of, of a of a play around is not it's just not fair. It's not fair. <sighs> <laughs> if I depressed you. No, it's coming to the end. That's what I'm crying. Uh, last question. Are you in anything at the minute? <laughs> um, I'm in my living room. Yeah. Um, it's a very nice living room as well. Well, now, I'll describe it for the listeners. Everything is red and black. Seems like it's tiled with these kind of like lovely burgundy red tiles. And uh, there's kind of a lot of, there's a lot of greenery. It looks very tropical. And loads of mirrors. There's like loads of those kind of <laughs> those kind of those foreground mirrors that make you look skinny or fat all around the room. <laughs> and like I'm just impressed. I put this bookcase up simply because I live in a built-in site at the minute. So I put the bookcase up simply for Zoom interviews because everybody seems to have a bookcase behind them. So yeah. I went. Yours is that's a nice bookcase. Get me a bookcase. Get me a bookcase now. Really nice. Is that like boat like boat shaped kind of supports? Yes, actually. Lovely, mm-hmm. really like it. I've been noticing Thanks. it in the background whenever you've been boring me. I've been like just looking at the uh, looking at the. Books See, books. that's why I love talking to you, Jonathan. You're just telling the truth. Listen, thank you very much. Stay on the line because I want to hear who this director is. <laughs> so that's that. That's us kicked off. Like I said at the very top of this, there are three more conversations already out there, ready for you to listen to today. Two with former guests, Tom Goodman-Hill and Denise Goff, and one with Jamel Westman. So all those are coming out today and every Friday from now until such times as it seems no longer sensible to do so. And God knows that could be sooner than I think it is. I will release another conversation. So keep tuned in. Make sure you're subscribed to get that stuff as soon as it comes. You don't miss it. And also so that I know people are listening because like, if these figures bounce back and there's like four of you, I'm out of here. I'm not going to lie to you. So please, please tell people that it's back out there. Remind your friends about the podcast if they listened in the past. Put it on your list of things to do. Just catch up. Maybe go back and listen to some of the old episodes as well. Tom's and Denise's are a very good place to start, given that they're the very first two episodes of Series 1. But more than anything, uh, get in touch. At Honest Actors and at Jonathan Arden on Twitter. Let me know what you think. Suggest people to interview down the line. I'm open to suggestions for the first time. Maybe make a recommendation. Maybe even tag someone that you know, make an introduction. I'd love to keep this going in a much more dynamic way. So please do suggest your guests and let me know what you think. Anyway, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 